0: Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all, to episode 4 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on October 27th, 2019. I am your host, Luke Lore, the insipid ghost, and in this episode we'll be discussing the Ubisoft delays, Modern Warfare impressions, and we'll continue our discussion on in-game economies and see just how you fund a Games as a Service versus maybe how you choose not to fund a Games as a Service. Let's begin this week with the Ubisoft delays. Ubisoft uh, put out a press release, and they are going to be delaying Watch Dogs Legions, Gods and Monsters, and Rainbow Six Quarantine. Also news that uh, Skull and Bones will be pushed back even further. And this surprised many people, I think, off the bat, because Ubisoft has been done a very good job uh, at having kind of a steady release slate. And now, uh, in this generation, we've seen Ubisoft play the role of hero. We've, none of us can pronounce their name properly, but we've seen them uh, do a lot of things right. Ghost Recon Wildlands was extremely well-received. Division 1 ended up being uh, one of the most profitable games for them, and Division 2, critically, was very well met. We saw the Far Cry franchise continue its uh, respected ascendant since Far Cry 3. I think you could argue that uh, the fifth Far Cry had some issues that uh, could easily have been fixed and they should have learned from in in previous iterations Um, but overall we've seen ubisoft fend off vivendi and and really do right by a lot of gamers they're always the first ones to uh, be out the gate supporting new consoles regardless of platform Uh, we've seen them you know support something as early on as the wii u they're always there on microsoft platforms they'll be there on stadia And so I think uh, in years recent, we've gained a lot of respect for Ubi, uh, and yet I was let down heavily by Ghost Recon Breakpoint. It it absolutely disappointed me to no end. And uh, supposedly, the Division 2, while critically well-received and and by the core division players was well-received, disappointed in their sales, uh, so much so that investors really kind of uh, witched out on easy all, which is surprising to me because I thought Division 2 was a fantastic experience. Uh, it, it, to me, seemed like it was the exact thing that you want Division 1 uh, to evolve into. It was a true representation of what that franchise could and should be. So uh, it, it shocked me to find out that Division 2 didn't do well, or it didn't do as well as Ubisoft had wanted and disappointed uh, investors. Now, when we say disappointed investors, you know, you could always always bring up the conversation. Well, how much money did they actually expect to make? Are they are they being reasonable? And I think that's a fair question. I think as gamers, we are often pitted against investors and pitted against kind of like that nebulous being that funds a lot of the AAA games we see, and we we are able to easily identify where it is. That AAA games fail you know in that nebulous region. Well, if they'd only done this, well, if they'd launched it in early access, well if they delayed the game. And that's just not how fiscal years work when it comes to somebody you know paying the bills to create the product. That said, uh, for a publisher of Ubisoft's pedigree, it, it's no doubt that, that some of their games have disappointed a recent, uh, particularly I'm thinking of, of Ghost Recon breakpoint because it was a mess. And it broke my heart that it was a mess. And in that same investor's call, I'll say, uh, before we get back to the delays, uh, Gilmall pointed out that he is committed to, uh, and his company is committed to, correcting a lot of the issues that have come about with Breakpoint. And if that's the case, you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, Luke Lore, the insipid ghost, will be back in on Ghost Recon Breakpoint you know, sometime in the new year, if indeed those problems are corrected. You know, I don't want to see a bunch of clipping through, environments i want to just go on and have a ghost recon like experience and i think that companies should be rewarded when they sustain and uh, support a game even if it doesn't do well out the gate so we'll see now while those games were originally set to launch kind of in that first quarter 2020 they're now going to be following into the second half of the year uh, and that suggests to me that these are going to be bridge titles. It suggests to me that we would see uh, a version launch Xbox One and then Xbox Scarlet. Uh, we saw them do something similar to that early on in the, in the in this generation. Where if you bought the PS3 version or the Xbox 360 version, and then you got an Xbox One or PS4 or whatnot, you, you could upgrade for 10 bucks or something like that. So I wonder if we'll see, you know, Gods and Monsters or Rainbow Six Quarantine or or... Uh, Watchdogs Legion do something like that. I'm curious if they will try to make them bridge titles or if the way that these companies are handling backcompat they'll just be they'll maintain as Xbox One and PS4 titles and just, you know, up res and work appropriately. When it comes to the architecture of these new systems, uh it seems to me they scale very well uh with kind of the X eighty six mentality. They're able to just scale up. And we'll see. We'll see. Maybe they will and we'll just we'll just get better versions. Um, a lot to wonder there, and I also am considering the idea that perhaps Watchdogs Dogs Legion, what it was trying to do with its kind of integrated technology and that every NPC is playable or, and what it was hoping for, perhaps it was just too ambitious for this current gen. Perhaps they just needed more compute power either in the cloud or uh, on the local system. Maybe that's the case. You also wonder, though, you know, how realistic is that? If you need the compute power, but they're new systems, and you don't know how to code for them as well, you know, it's it's often that launch games on new new consoles don't look as good as kind of the ending game on the console prior. So uh, we'll see. Nonetheless, I am fascinated, curious, and uh, anxious to see kind of how this plays out. Will Ghost Recon Breakpoint get fixed? Will it be adjusted? When we say fixed, I mean, it's certainly not as broken as something like fall at 76, which we will absolutely talk about later in this show. Um, so broken versus just being bad or just needing improvement. Uh, a lot to wonder there. One of the, the points that uh, Yves Gamal, the CEO of, of Ubisoft, did make, and I do want to quote him because I thought it was a relevant quote when he was talking to investors. Uh, quote, "We feel it's due to the fact that people have been able to play these games for a long time and are experiencing gameplay that gameplay for a long time. We need to wait longer for something that is more differentiated end quote. And that reminds me very much of how they kind of put Assassin's Creed on hold. They did Odyssey Origins and then they moved on uh, or, or they put something on hold. Uh, we, it's been a while since we've seen the watchdog franchise. Far Cry hopefully takes a, a much needed breather. goodness gracious. But I kind of like this idea. And this spins me into a topic that I, I often have. When you get a game that's good or a game that is well-received, well-met by gamers, critics, makes you money, however you want to look at success, whatever your metric is, if there is a game that a, that a developer is happy with, why not make the sequel right then and there on the same engine with the same assets that serves gamers? Uh, and then you've got two products that, that kind of can launch in, in relative kind of t- togetherness, Odyssey Origins being kind of my cited example in this particular case, Breath of the Wild and what, what we believe to be its sequel using the same kind of basic assets, uh, Ocarina and Wind Waker, another good example. But why not do that and then take time off? Let the game breathe. You can do your various DLCs. You get your sale money. They, they offer, theoretically, longer tail revenue that way. And then you don't get bad games or games we don't care about uh Odyssey and uh Origins they did this very well but but if you look at the back prior to to all the Assassin's Creed there I mean you've got the Forgotten Ones are, are in there Assassin's Creed Rogue is in there good game hardly anyone played it because of the generation tran- transition Assassin's Creed Liberations you had um, the various 2D ones I mean oversaturation of a franchise can be difficult and building worlds and engines is difficult so in creating one why not make its follow-up almost back-to-back bring in some new ideas new minds you know a reason that it's a sequel not dlc i think uncharted lost legacy did this well uh but but why not just do that where was the halo 5 odst version you know why not have that happen if the developer is indeed happy and the game is successful enough the gamers seem to want it it's just something that goes through my mind quite often you know why don't we get just the next version kind of you know within a year after a year and some change after and then franchise kind of takes a break or at least the franchise in that iteration you know gears tactics i would not count as gears of war in the same sense and so you know uh, we'll, we'll see. There's there's something to that. I think in my own kind of version of of this thought process, and I'm curious what you guys think. So do indeed feel free to weigh in. Oh goodness gracious! Let us move on. Respawn, Respawn. The makers of Titanfall, Titanfall Two, Apex Legends, which is probably the game of the year, probably. It often uh, exits my mind when I start to think of Game of the Year, and then I go back and I'm like, wait, it's ludicrous. This free-to-play game is absolutely my Game of the Year thus far at this point. Who knows? We'll see. Plenty of time left. Nonetheless, Jedi Fallen Order, November 15th. Uh, I have the Deluxe Edition pre-order, courtesy of a raffle that I I won via Extra Life. And speaking of Extra Life, if you are indeed able to support those who are raising money and funding Extra Life, regardless of prizes or, or... uh, raffles, or any of the like, please do so. It's it's an important cause, and it shows and reminds the world that gamers, uh, as a collective community, are, are positive outlooks. We've seen the gaming community react a number of times to tragedy and to frustration and illness quite well. We've seen those reactions come quite well. And while that may not be kind of the mainstay coverage whenever there's violence in the media, uh, I think it's important that we continue these positive outlooks, because Simply put, being good makes you feel good, and when you're able to support support uh, those in need or those who are working for a cause, do so. Why not? Why not? But back to my original point. Jedi Fallen Order, November fifteenth. I've got the deluxe edition pre-ordered. I am super excited for it. Uh, my excitement has risen exponentially since the initial reveal. Uh, I wasn't overly excited. I didn't think the protagonist looked that good. I wasn't sure what the gameplay was. But more and more with these reveals, with more and more as we're seeing journalists and outlets go in-depth with them, this game looks like something that I do want. I wanted power fantasy of being a Jedi. I got that in Force Unleashed. I got it in Super Star Wars. I've gotten it in a number of other Star Wars games. But this looks to be a new take. This Soulsborn aspect, but with difficulty adjustments, and, and factors that work into you kind of going on the journey and growing as a Jedi because you don't launch early on powerful. The idea that you'll have Jedi meditations, you'll be choosing and adjusting your powers, the wall running looks straight out of Titanfall, which, which is super awesome. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I'm excited by this. And the Rise of Skywalker trailer just kind of ignites and continues to ignite my excitement for what Star Wars is and what it can be, what it means to people. And for me, it's something I hold near and dear to my heart. So I am extremely excited to see what it is that we get from Jedi Fallen Order, and if I have a new type of power fantasy to enjoy. I I go back to this this regularly, and I have a lot of conversations with with a lot of people. Um, my my call, call of Duty, my Apex, my Gears Brothers, Mr. Badbit, and and um, the real president of, of Sony, Mr. Kevin Butler. Uh, I have a lot of conversations about what. Soulsborn means and what difficulty means. Because as good as Bloodborne and Dark Souls uh, can be, I actually enjoyed Lords of the Fallen a lot more because it was easier. Difficulty can sometimes put me off of a game. I play games to be overpowered and to uh, kind of immerse myself in, in just winning and victories and not have to struggle through. Uh, and I ne- that it, that usually ties into kind of how my daily life is going. I know a lot of gamers are they're not working full time, and a lot of them absolutely are and that can play a factor into how you enjoy games is how tired you are or what's on your docket, how much time you have available to you, you know your mindset when you go into a game and I did not want this year's seemingly very good Star Wars game to to push me away, huh force push me away, to force me away by by factor of difficulty. and so the idea that it has adjustable difficulty. And then I'll still be able to kind of have those grand cinematic moments of taking down an ATST of of igniting that lightsaber and taking on foes. Uh, I'm excited by that. It looks to me like I'm going to be uh, enjoying all those things, and I can adjust my difficulty as I see fit. And, you know, Respawn, I asked them, I, I genuinely, I sat down at their Q&A at E3, and I said, why is it you all think, uh, I I, re- I worded it better, I was much more polite, but where does Respawn come about? Uh, experts in first-person shooters, where do they come about making a third-person action game, particularly in such a beloved universe? And their answer was was very well met, and they, they said that they'd been building this team for a very long time with people who had experience in other franchises, Uncharted kind of coming to mind and being, being the answer there. And so I was like, man, if that's the case, we have something special. Explorable worlds, the idea that I can go out there, I can choose my path, see, you know, I'll go by and I'll see a wall that can easily be brought down by a force push, but I haven't learned that yet. And I can adjust my my path. I can go on side quests. My critical path can be changed. It could be different from my friends. Oh man, I'm in. I'm in and I'm excited to play it. And here's hoping. Let me be very clear. Here's hoping that this is a launch pad for another one. We get a sequel that maybe runs on the same engine or, or, or you know gets up and we've got an idea. Tie in some DLC to those Disney Plus shows. and McGregor's on for six hours of Star Wars, being Obi-Wan. Heck, yes. Give me some DLC that lets me rock that. Give me some levels that let me rock that. Can I use Kylo Ren's lightsaber? Because Kylo Ren's my boy. I love that troubled soul of his. Uh, I-, I would love to continue, continue exploring the Star Wars universe in more ways by way of tie-in DLC. Because the Deluxe Edition... Real talk, not too sure what it's given me apart from a few skins. Not really sure what it was, but because I won, you know, credit for for the game in a raffle, and then I had EA access, it was an, it was like a seven dollar difference. So I was like, all right, let's check this out. Uh, and so I'll let you know whether or not it's worth it. But but early on, I was like, uh, I don't know that I need the deluxe edition, but as a Star Wars fan, how do I not? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's not ma- It's not. It's not Battlefront. We don't look like to be having our microtransactions, so we'll see. And just as a quick note, I will absolutely be booting up Battlefront too and enjoying some Star Wars mo- moments prior to Rise of Skywalker. I can't help it, guys. I can't help it. It doesn't, have, it doesn't even have to be that, that great. I just I love me some Star Wars. Also on my mind this week has been my continued experience and my continued uh, experimentation with Project xCloud. Now, last week I told you I'd put in a, a good amount of time with it and enjoyed it, and it had worked flawlessly. Uh, an update on my time spent with Project xCloud. I have had one bad experience out of about 10 hours worth of gameplay, maybe more, probably even more than that. Uh, I, I bought myself a clip, I've clipped it to my controller, and one time with that clip it, it fuzzed out, and then I did more experiments to see if maybe it was just a kind of a one-off thing, and it seems to be. Overall, overall, my experience with Project xCloud has been immaculate. It has looked great. It has responded very, very well. I know Microsoft is now selling its own controller clip, but but it certainly changed the game to kind of mount my Pixel into the into the dock on my controller and just move about with it. Uh, After every experience, the user is asked to kind of provide feedback for what it is. You rate like you know the interactivity, like how quickly it responds. You rate how it looks, Uh, and then just you can you can put in comments about what you're seeing, what you're not seeing. Uh, I've I've played it on my google mesh wi-fi network which has been absolutely incredible Uh, and then i played it on kind of a you know just a a very weak area for signal just with my my data carrier Um, and overall xcloud is working extremely well and i have no reason to believe that if we're in early access right now xcloud is something extremely extremely special uh joel falcon had written into the show and asked uh, in regards to xcloud is it only game pass games that we'll be able to play Well, Joel, for now, uh, during this trial period, there are four games available, Gears 5, Halo 5, Killer Instinct, and Sea of Thieves. More are on the way, I believe, as well. I would imagine they roll that out as more users get involved, but I can tell you that in my time with Gears 5... Everything has played fantastically. It is difficult to read some of the text, and I wonder if developers are going to have to adjust for different screen sizes uh, or at least be more aware of it as they create games. We've seen and heard conversations of accessibility to allow gamers that that might have certain needs uh, to be able to participate in those games. I wonder if, uh, in terms of accessibility... Now screen size and font text will be factored in uh, on the get-go. For example, if I'm playing you know, Halo 5, Gears 5, Halo Infinite, what have you, uh, on my Google Pixel 3, well, there's a finite uh, area of screen space, and developers know that. They can identify that early on because they know how big a Pixel 3 is. And so if they are able to, to recognize that, does the font, or can they change and adjust the UI just a bit? Uh, so that I'm not, you know, they recognize I'm not playing on some 4K, you know, 55 to 75 inch screen. I wonder if that's going to be something they do because it was a little bit difficult to read and, and not difficult to navigate, but difficult to read certain things. Uh, I'm curious, and we'll see. UIs are, are something that are in constant flux, uh, particularly as as we approach new consoles. We'll hear a lot of conversations about user interfaces and what it is they're trying to do. But nonetheless, I want you to know that my continued experience with XCloud is largely positive positive. 99 percent of what i've done with it has been great i've been ranking up and having a good old time with it and i'm curious to see what games that continue to roll out next i want to see platformers in there how well does does ori in the blind forest control via xcloud because that's a game that is near pixel perfect and you have to be on it it's, it's difficult and it's, it's frustrating if you don't nail your jumps uh and timing so how does that latency impact your experience I would imagine we see that. I expect to see that. Um, And as this continues to to roll out to more xCloud users, we'll see something special, particularly with Stadia on the horizon. And, you know, speaking of Stadia... I want to make a slight correction to last week's episode. Uh, I mentioned something about the Stadia Founders Edition and how it's, you know, 100 plus bucks um, and then needing the, the Chromecast Ultra to use your wireless controller and, and have other perks. Well, the Founders Edition is in, includes, rather, a Chromecast Ultra uh, and is about 130 bucks. So there's something to that. The controller only works with Chromecast Ultra for now, which I still see as a huge failing in Stadia's seemingly troubled rollout. But when you launch a new service and you've got something to, to compete on the market, whether you're competing uh, you know, in your mind with, with PlayStation, Microsoft, Nintendo's local consoles, or with more cloud-based features like xCloud, you never know. You never know. Uh, another conversation that I think we need to move into and, and, and talk about going into kind of this next gen and as we continue to see uh, PlayStation Now, we see PlayStation Plus, we see Xbox Live Games with Gold, all include older games, is what the conversation of backward compatibility means going forward, the future versions of back compat could be done via XCloud, and that's something that I have been uh, kind of postulating in my mind as I read articles about like PlayStation 5s uh, only going to have built-in PS4 backward compatibility, and, and that disappointed many a PlayStation fan, and there's certainly a lot of legacy there, but there's no reason to think that via emulation or kind of streaming services. You couldn't see PlayStation's one through one through three also on PlayStation Five. We've seen that on our own Xbox ecosystem. I mean, you're playing OG Xbox games. Uh, you can download them and go. But how does XCloud change that? Change that entire mentality. If you've got XCloud, you just got a controller, and via XCloud, you're logging in on your Samsung Smart TV, or you're logging in on on your TLC TV, and you don't even own a box. And you have access to Xbox titles. What's to say that that down the line, you just log into your Xbox account, whether you have a physical Xbox Scarlet unit in your home or not, but you just log in and you have the entire breadth of the Xbox catalog available to you. Could they work out something where licensing is no longer an issue, and I can just download any Xbox 360 game that I purchased, mind you, uh, and, and there it is. Is there a way to do that? How do you know? How do you? How do you? go about doing that. Because physical purchasing, it makes sense. The, the developers, the publishers, the publishers produced, they purchased a finite amount of discs and they they, they gave the rights and, and, and though they own the rights for those discs, and they can distribute those to consumers as needed. But with digital rights, it's a bit different. However, we are how many years into this digital future? And we're seeing publishers adjust their deals to match that and to to account for digital sales. I would love to see backcompat come to to all the systems via this this cloud servicing. I don't need a disk disk drive in my Project Scarlet. I am all digital now. Uh, forgive this sad edition. I don't. I, goodness, that's its own conversation. But when we look at this new future, backward compatibility is a great selling point. And the idea that I can go back and play some of my favorite 360 games absolutely keeps me in this Xbox ecosystem. The idea that Games with Gold or Game Pass brings those titles that I might have missed way back when to to me is super cool. EA Access is doing that as well. I mean, you've got Black in there. Shadows of the Damned is in there. I mean, those are games that I I didn't pick up, wouldn't pick up, or, or weren't in my wheelhouse. But if I'm bored on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm able to just jump in and try them out because they are available to me, well now I've not missed this game that well made 10 15 20 years ago. Now I have exposure to it and the conversation starts again and the conversation is, "Hey, because of X Cloud, because of Game Pass, because of Games with Gold, I was able to try this or that and I love it." And that that is its own marketing ploy. That, that is its own marketing uh, ability. Ploy implies that it's some sort of like tactic to to screw you over. I don't mean it that way. I think it's a very positive thing. So do I want to see PlayStation do this? Yes. Because that will continue to push Microsoft to do this. Uh, Mark Cerny has said that the PS4 Back Compat is built in. I'm We've heard many a time from Phil Spencer and, and his team that forward compatibility in the Xbox ecosystem is a priority. We've seen the Back Compat team take time off to prepare for Scarlet. I don't know what take time off from, from giving us titles on Xbox One means. But I know that if they're prepping something for Scarlet, there's a number of factors. And don't get overhyped. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes as gamers we get overhyped and we we go pie in the sky. What do we want? And then we're extremely disappointed, upset, and we get extremely vocal on the internet because it wasn't what we wanted particularly. I think it's, it's important that as gamers we have a voice. We share it on podcasts. We share it on Twitter. As long as we're not attacking, being vitriolic, and we're being logical in our approach, that's important. That is important. I'm a big member of the Gears of War community. I love Gears 5. I love Gears of War as a franchise. The comics, the books everything super stoked for gears tactics but i watch these these content creators every video critiques what the developers at the coalition are doing and there's a good place for that make no mistake every major publisher or developer that produces content every minor one you're able to critique me we put ourselves out there and and anyone watching listening participating spending money should be able to critique, but it's important to note that they are making a game for masses. People make games for the masses, not for one or two. And those masses uh, could be niche. They could be for everybody and full accessibility. There's a lot of conversation in that. So we'll see what what that means, but uh, I would hope that anybody who has hopes for Project xCloud, hopes for Scarlet, hopes for a particular game, goes about setting those expectations fairly and appropriately. I ran a poll recently on Twitter at uh, InsipidGhost, and 22 votes came in, which was not, not you know, grandiose. And, of course, I think it's fair to say that my audience is probably a bit biased here and there. But the question was, do you believe it's time for a permanent price drop in Xbox One consoles? And the answers were, were twenty out of 22 people, 86% said yes, absolutely, whereas 14% said no, not at all. And I think this conversation is relevant, and it was brought about by the fact that I had to purchase uh, a new Xbox to replace my Scorpio, which uh, passed away on me, you know, rip Scorpio, I-, I love you very much, and it sits on my shelf, talked about that last week, uh, but you know, I said to spend $500 on an Xbox One X, uh, Gears of War edition, and as beautiful and wonderful as it is, I couldn't help but thinking it was 400 Now, I did eventually get a sales price match, because Best Buy dropped it six days later, and so I got 100 bucks back, which is Hugely helpful. It's a very difficult financial time. And so to have that was it was a major boon. But the conversation is whether or not Microsoft should be dropping the, the price of Xbox One consoles, S, X, Sat Edition, what have you. And I think the answer must be yes. That price needs to come down and we need to get people into the door. We know that Game Pass is set up at, with a pricing structure that is designed to get people in, realize the value they have and what it can do for them you know how much does 10 bucks a month get you 100 plus games a lot of them at triple a extremely high metacritics Uh, there's something special about game pass but getting people in xcloud is not ready yet you can't say oh just join xcloud you don't need the unit no you do need a unit if you want to be into this ecosystem and it's time now to make it a no-brainer a couple people mentioned this and responded on twitter uh, Brendan Myers, the Winter Gamer, was activated and he said the price needs to come down so that the SAD edition becomes a no-brainer and gets people into the Xbox ecosystem. Though some think that they will hold pe- that it will hold people off uh, and they might get Scarlet and then life could get in the way. Uh, Brendan makes a good point. The idea that you do want your lowest priced console, that needs to be down to 150 bucks. It shouldn't just be a Black Friday sale. It needs to be 150 bucks or less Moving in, it's a sad edition. No disc drive. It's an S. You don't need to tout it like the world's most powerful console. Get people into your world. Get them experiencing what Xbox and Microsoft can bring to the table. What is special about it? Because the S and the X are incredible systems. Make no mistake. Those, Those those the hardware in those are special. I put mine through my through their paces. I push them harder than most gamers do. I would count myself among those who are are an aberration. I I push it further than most users do. Uh, But get people in. Let them check it out. Why not? Uh, Now, contrary to that, John Wall on Twitter says, Honestly, I don't think it makes much of a difference this late in the game. I mean, does it boost sales a little? Maybe. But I don't think the price drop is going to move the needle dramatically. Now, I thought about John's quote, and I think that we're going for two different things. I do not expect a price drop to move the needle. There's no doubt that units sold, uh, the generation's over, right? We don't need to consider that Xbox needs to compete for units sold. It's not about that. It's about bringing people into this Microsoft world, this Xbox ecosystem, what it means to see Xbox game studios before and after each game in your end credits, what it means to pick up that Xbox One controller. There's something special to that. I think a lot of gamers who who do themselves the service of trying games on multiple platforms, whether you have a Switch-PS4 combo, a PS4-Xbox combo, whether you have all three, whatever it is, uh, I take great joy in playing across many systems, and it turns out that Microsoft was for me. Xbox was the one that I ended up with maining through the majority of this generation. But get people in. Make it a no-brainer. Make it that Christmas gift that's easy for Grandma and Granddad to pick up and just give to the kiddo. Hey, and by the way, Here's three months of Xbox Game Pass. 100 plus games at your fingertips. What's that? Little Johnny, you want to chainsaw a locust? Here you go. Enjoy that, Little Johnny. Violence isn't a problem in our world. Uh, check out the Outer Worlds. Check out you know, Fallout, Fallout 4, which I'm pretty sure is on there. Fallout New Vegas. Those are the fallouts you want to check out. All of those are in Game Pass. Sea of Thieves. Be a pirate. Heck yeah. I mean, get people into that world. That's my thing. That's what I really want to see. That Xbox One X, I got it on. You know, I got that price matched on sale down to four hundred instead of five. You know, that thing should be three fifty. It's an incredible beast of a system. There is no doubt about that. But we're not playing to make money off these systems. We're playing to get people in and let them experience the joy that we have taken. So you know, I think about that price drop. I think about bringing people into ecosystems, and that's what I hope and want to see happen. Uh, you know, I mentioned Outer Worlds. I have not had a chance to play it yet. I have it downloaded. I have it ready to go. Anybody with Game Pass has it and ready to go. Uh, but but I ended up going with Modern Warfare first. I started playing Modern Warfare. I got a review code for that one, to be clear, so take that for what you will. Um, Activision sent me a code, and I started playing. I st- I streamed the first three or four hours of my my campaign experience and then I played some some arcade mode uh off stream with with some buddies so let me talk about the campaign it is extremely intense uh, there are sections of that game that do feel like you're watching live leak footage and that can be unsettling for certain people if you are prone to anxiety a- as I am and I know many gamers can be uh it's intense but it's very well done and I want to say that very clearly it I felt I felt the impact of my decisions, of what I was doing, of the the decisions of, and the situations rather that a number of soldiers are, are faced with what does it mean if you're entering a building that that houses terrorists and that's their home, you know, and some have children that they want to protect, others might might feign that they are uh, innocent and then, you know, reach for a weapon underneath and that can be a threat to you and your team. You really like look like you're watching Live league footage and you're you're playing through stories that you read about, uh, in this kind of modern urban warfare. There is a wonderful scene that is almost out of the movie thirteen hours, but it involves you being kind of entrenched on rooftops and at nighttime you cannot see the approach of of your enemies and hostiles as they approach through a field. It's incredible. It's it's visceral, which is an overused buzzword in a number of our video games but the truth is that's that's the perfect word to describe it it was gritty and it was it was combat heavy weapons had weight to them you felt you felt exactly what they said in their marketing that you would if modern warfare one cod Four, whatever you want to think of it as the original modern warfare if it was made in today's climate that's what this game is that's what they were going for and they nailed it perfectly uh, I, I have to take special mention of the sound design. Now, I'm very fortunate that I have a pair of Steel Series Arctis 9Xs, which are one of the best headsets uh, in the business, if not the best. I am extremely fortunate to have them and use them. But hearing the impact of things, hearing footsteps run around me, uh, it, it, it's stunning. I am always, always shocked at how much audio can play a factor in the quality of game experience. It's not something that I was tuned into for so many years of, of gaming. I always thought it was button presses and cool graphics. But sound makes a big difference. And we know that's a conversation for you know, Scarlet, the, the idea that they want to have uh, ray tracing audio. I have no idea what that means. I do not know. I couldn't even tell you what ray tracing is. I've Googled it many times. I've read about it. No idea. Nonetheless, in Modern Warfare, there is just something special about the game. Uh, but it's intense. It is intense. I ended up having to take a break, and I put I put Modern Warfare down for about eight hours. I was like, man, this game is really good. That campaign is, thus far in my experience, thus far, which is not a complete experience, it's the best Call of Duty campaign that I've ever played. And there are some good ones in there for sure. Uh, it's cinematic, but it doesn't feel super arcadey. Now uh, I did play multiplayer as well, and that also, gosh, it's it's like I'm going nuts on this. That was a near perfect combination of arcadey Call of Duty feel but also the Modern Warfare of old. Like, it it, it felt good. The killstreaks were in there, you know, and playing with my buddies and, and having a good time and being silly across uh, the audio and the mics, and it was something different. It's a different feeling than, say, playing Halo 5 or Gears 5. Uh, and I wouldn't argue better or worse, but different. It feels uh, unique, but you don't necessarily get the same weight of the events that you do in the campaign, and I like that. I think that now there's experience. Within Call of Duty, there's an experience for... For multiplayer, for campaign, and Spec Ops. And I've not yet played Spec Ops. I have no experience in that. One of the cool things that I must, must, must point out about playing uh, multiplayer. I was playing with Mr. Badbit of the PS Trophy Room podcast. And just my my good friend in general. I mean, he's a PlayStation dude, but we play a lot of games across uh, his different systems. And, and Kevin Butler, the real, the real, the real vice president of Sony. But we were playing, and in the lobby... Uh, Butler and I were on Xbox. Bit was on his PlayStation. We had people on PC, multiple people on Xboxes and PlayStation, and we were all playing together, talking together, being silly, talking smack, having a good old time. It wasn't clear who was PlayStation, who was Xbox, who was PC. There was none of that. There was no accidental, you know, assigning of teams. There was no feeling that I was being pitted against rivals from other consoles with their different plastic boxes. No, this was just a bunch of people enjoying and playing a game together. And it felt cool. It felt awesome. And uh, I experienced similar things when I was playing on Project xCloud, playing Gears on my on my xCloud device, playing against people that were on their Xbox and then another one on their PC. Those are cool feelings. That's the future. That's what's special about, about kind of going forward in gaming, that exclusives games as a service xbox game studios whatever they like to do to create that ecosystem they're going to have to account for the fact that people are going to want to play this in multiple places you know outer worlds is this is this new franchise that microsoft will have control over after this this private division published one but microsoft has gone all in and helping the marketing hey it's on game pass outer worlds is great it's metacritic is doing extremely well it's in the the high 80s last i checked Uh, People are loving Outer Worlds. Well, it's very clear that this franchise will be uh, Microsoft exclusive or they can make it Microsoft exclusive going forward. Outer Worlds 2 looks like it's going to happen because of how much people are loving Outer Worlds. And next week, I'll absolutely have impressions for you uh, just in my own personal experience. I just didn't get to by the time of this recording, but I'm so excited to. This looks like a game that people are loving. The idea that, that developers and publishers will need to consider that it won't be plastic box barriers that will keep people from playing your game, is something neat. And Microsoft has a great track record of that. Minecraft is on other consoles. Of course, Outer Worlds is there. We've seen them them push the idea and push a bunch of their games to Switch. Ori is going to be there. I wonder what Battletoads uh, happens. We've seen Play Anywhere going to PC. There's something to that. There is something to that. And whatever it is, uh, I'm curious to see how Microsoft navigates through it going forward. I'm also curious how Mixer plays into it. Mixer has been growing uh, at a very, very steady rate since it changed its name to Mixer. Uh, the Ninja move was huge. Not necessarily that it brought in more viewers. In fact, I think a few articles came out that like a lot of people are watching Mixer. A lot of people know about Mixer now, but but it doesn't necessarily mean that Ninja's getting more. Uh, his former former colleagues, I guess you would say, fellow streamers of Twitch of your, uh, were getting more views on Twitch than he was on Mixer, but. It was the idea, the attention he brought to the platform and the attention, the ability that he has to bring to games on that platform. Now we look at, at, at another major move. Shroud has come over to Mixer. Now, if you don't know who Shroud is, he's a streamer, and he's a streamer that a lot of people watch, a lot of people like, and Mixer is, of course, promoting him now. This is the effect of what Ninja is. You, you bring in one big major player. Rising tides lift all boats. People now know what Mixer is. Students of mine know what Mixer is. People are like, oh wait, what's Mixer? And then they learn the idea. Shroud comes over. Now, no doubt they backed up the truckload of money and they said, hey, come on over. But you go in their streams and these are good, capable streamers with good moderation. And people are now watching it, discovering what Mixer means. Does this mean that you see Mixer uh, embedded into more platforms going forward? Uh, Do you see see share to Mixer or, or links to other places because of it? I hope so. I hope that this is a side effect of of the Ninja acquisition a, a few months ago. We see more major players come on over. Uh the right ones because Mixer is a great platform and I'm not saying that as a homer. I'm just saying that my personal experience with it is that if I have a need for something, they respond quickly. Uh the community is moderated well. Part of that due to to it being smaller than Twitch, but Twitch has not done a lot of its public relations well in the past few years. I mean, if you've got TwitchCon going on and they're saying F Mixer as a big old crowd chant, that means that Mixer's on their radar. And so that Shroud comes over, that's a big move, and, and it could potentially do a lot of selling of Microsoft and Xbox Game Studios games by way of simply the share button. If there is a share button, please let there be a share button. Please. The double tap is, is annoying, and I don't like it. So who knows? Who knows? There we go there. Guys, that... uh brings me to kind of my last conversation of the day my last conversation of the day my final thesis has to do with pricing structures monetization how you go about monetizing games as a service fallout 76 oh goodness you know if blizzard can't mess up bethesda wants to do it for them or vice versa it's like who wants to make the biggest mistake Fallout 76 has announced a $100 a year subscription service uh, for private servers where you and 8 people can play Fallout 76 together with some of your own rules and there's its own comedy there. Uh, But what's funny about this is Fallout 76 is this much-plagued game much plagued. I mean, lots of conversations about things that aren't working with it. It's broken. It's a mess. It doesn't involve the franchise well. NPCs are not in the game, but maybe they might, they will be at some point, but who knows. And it was the butt of a lot of different jokes. Uh, you know, when Anthem came out, they were like, oh, man, this is going to take some pressure off Fallout 76. Nope. Bethesda was like, not today. So they're adjusting. Uh, they're, they're, they have a new subscription service for 100 bucks a year uh, or, or, or. You can do 12.99 a month uh, to kind of rent out private servers now Xbox game Pass is ten dollars a month 9.99 a month and in game Pass you get Fallout New Vegas and the much revealed or much revealed uh, the 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 very high praised outer worlds which is a fallout formula game you know what you have to wonder what we're thinking if, if we're Bethesda what's going through our minds are we losing so much money that we got to try and like just squeeze the life out of those who are trying to enjoy Fallout 76, because I do not mock, and I hope that nobody listening to the show has joy in mocking people that enjoy a game, right? If you like if you like Fallout 76, rock on, more power to you, have a good time. The idea that, that anybody would try to take advantage of people who just enjoy a game that is maligned and imperfect and hasn't delivered on its promises, that's a bit frustrating to me though. Particularly when there are competing services that offer more and better values. If Game Pass has New Vegas and Outer Worlds, two Obsidian-made uh, f- RPGs in the Fallout, you know, m- mantra and style, w- who's playing Fallout 76 on these private servers? I have to wonder. Imagine if Anthem had done this. If Anthem had said, hey, guys, we've got, we've got the things that we promised you, the things that we said we would deliver to you in this game, you can have it, but it's 100 bucks a year more, and you've already spent X amount of dollars on the game. That's wild. And we see, we see this evolution. At one point, these things were season passes. And then they were microtransactions, loot boxes, surprise mechanics. Call of Duty has been experimenting with this with its different subscription services. Uh, Battlefield used to run out private servers for sure. How do you sustain something that requires server costs and maintain, maintainability uh, from the developer? I don't think there is a universal answer to it, but I do think that it is important, and the onus is on developers and publishers to respect your player base. The reason they do things like this is to respond to what we started at the beginning of our show: respond to investors. Hey, investors, you put X amount of money in, you expect to make uh, Y money on the on the back end of it. That's not happening. We'll try and do this for you, and I understand that's the approach by publishers, particularly if you know theoretically rumors are that Bethesda's looking to, to be bought out or to sell, <clears throat> pardon me, they're looking to sell, and so they want to, to up their revenue stream, but I don't think that in a world where we can tweet, where we have analytics, where we can speak directly to, I don't think this is the way you do it, I don't think this is how you go about it, uh, and simply put, there has to be a, not a line drawn in the sand, because that's too much to ask for such a huge, booming industry, but there has to be a statement made by gamers collectively, uh, with our wallets, that says if the game is unfinished and what is unpromised is not—or th- sorry, what is promised is not there—then our money and our attention will go elsewhere. I think that's what happened with Anthem. Uh, the truth is, I, I greatly enjoyed quite a bit of my time with Anthem. But I played it as a single-player 30-hour game, and I had a blast with it. I ended up putting more time in because I like being Iron Man. But like, as a 30-hour experience, sure. But it was bogged down with this. This committee-like construction and monetization model that just, brf, it's not there. You can't develop a game and say it's going to have all these things, and then it not. It's its not fair to gamers. So, you know, what do you think about different pricing models? What is there to have? Uh, what, what is it that, that makes a good pricing structure? Which game do you guys play? that allows you to continue to support it even after purchase by way of microtransactions, season pass, shareability. Uh, What is it that you like? Fortnite's done it well. Apex seems to be doing it well. Gears 5 uh, is figuring it out. I don't know. Which ones work for you guys? That's what I'd like to know. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Xbox Expansion Pass. I want to give special thank you to all of you who have uh, gone on this journey with me, who are continuing to support the show uh, by way of listening, uh, rating on your platforms of, of choice that means the world I didn't I just truly did not understand how much it means but uh, eight ratings on iTunes and it's growing uh, well if you have the time to share the show uh, or rate the show that means the absolute world I did not realize it but it makes such a difference uh, it makes such a difference so thank you all to those of you who who have done those things you can reach out to me on Twitter uh, and mixer and, and any of the platforms at insipid on everything. And if you need to shoot me an email, and goes at Gmail. But uh, let me know what you think of the show. Critical feedback's appreciated. Rates and all that other jazz if you're able. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your week.